Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, This Is What We Do. The big idea behind this series is that Jesus tells his followers how to live life and that what we do makes a difference in the world. When we pursue God, live generously, serve regularly, foster unity, and share the gospel, it inspires others to do the same. When we add our individual actions to what other believers are doing, God multiplies the impact. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Again, good morning to everybody. We want to especially welcome those who are in the building as well as those who are watching us online. We're grateful that you've joined us today as we continue in this series called This Is What We Do. As you can tell from the video that we're talking about what we do as Christ followers. As followers of Jesus, what we do for God makes a difference. What we add, God multiplies and it changes the world. Now last week I shared that one of the things that we do as followers of Jesus is that we pursue God. And if you missed that message, we want to encourage you to go back and to our website and you can listen to it. Today we're going to look at something else that Christ followers do. And it's this. We live generously. Now Jesus lived a radically generous life and he calls us, his followers, to live that same way with the same radical generosity. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs us how to handle the temptation to get revenge, and he does so by telling us to be radically generous. So this is what he says. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer them the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow him. So if you're paying attention, you may say, wow, there's a couple of things in there that that we use frequently that come straight from Scripture. Turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Now, if you're familiar with Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, it's called The Message. I was struck as I read it this week uh, by the way that, that he translates. And by the way, he translates thought for thought. Instead of a word-for-word translation, it's a thought-for-thought paraphrase. And it captures the essence of Jesus' teaching. So let me read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen, so just, just listen. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. So Jesus says, live generously. 
Jesus starts by pointing out that the Old Testament law gave you permission to do to someone what they had done for you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But, but Jesus taught something new and different. He taught his followers to be radically generous and different in their response. So if someone hits you, he says, don't hit back. In fact, turn the other cheek and let them hit you on the other side. If someone sues you, then you're supposed to give them more than they're suing you for. And going back to the first century Roman law that said that if a soldier wanted to, he could commandeer you to carry his backpack and his gear for up to a mile. But Jesus says, listen, go the extra mile. Carry it two miles instead of one. And then he concludes by saying, listen, if there's somebody in need, you need to give to them. You need to help them out. Now, that message was as radical in the first century as it is today. But Jesus gave those words to his followers then and to all of us today. And they're words that we need to take to heart. A century ago, there was a, a band of brave souls who took this message to heart. And they lived radically generous lives. And they became known as one-way missionaries. Now, why were they called that? They were called that because when they were preparing to go to the mission field, they purchased one-way tickets. They didn't purchase a round-trip ticket. So instead of packing suitcases, they were told to pack all their earthly belongings in coffins. And they sailed out of the ports where they were going, and they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, and everyone they knew because they knew that they would never return home. They were radically generous missionaries giving their lives, the rest of their lives, to the people that they were going to take the gospel to. One of those was A.W. Milne. He was a missionary and he set sail for the New Hebrides Islands, which is in the South Pacific. And they the people there were known to be headhunters who lived throughout the islands and every missionary that had been sent there had been martyred before him. But Milne didn't fear for his life because he had already died to himself. So his coffin was packed for 35 years. He lived with that tribe that, that he loved. And in fact, he did not die a martyr, but he gave his life to them radically. And when he died, the members buried him in the middle of the village. And they inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came there, there was no light. When he left there was no darkness. Now, that's the story of how one Christ follower answered God's call to live a radically generous life. Now, God may or may not be calling you to be a missionary, but he calls all of us to be followers of him and to live generous and indeed radically generous lives. What he specifically calls each of us to do with our lives may be unique for each one of us, but God has some general principles that he calls all Christ followers to embrace, regardless of what he calls us to do specifically with our lives. Now, you may have a question at this point. And that question may be, you know, wow, I've never really considered why Jesus teaches me to be so radically generous. So why does he? 
Well, Jesus teaches us to be radically generous because God is radically generous to us. And Jesus teaches us to be radically generous because radical generosity changes the world. And finally, Jesus teaches us to be radically generous because he knows it will loosen the grip that greed has on our lives. So uh, let's look at those three points as we look at how Jesus lived and taught radical generosity. Here's the first thing that I want you to know. Jesus wants something for us, not from us. He wants something for us, not from us. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see an encounter that Jesus had with a a real person. And it illustrates that Jesus wants something for us, not from us. So, I'm going to start with the story and then I'll, I'll give you a couple of very important verses from the story. So, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus replied, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So the man said, well, which ones? And Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man replied, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And this is what Jesus answered. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, this is a profound encounter for us to be able to witness. And I don't think any of us can read this without having a bit of a gut check about this. Like, is, wow, is that what Jesus wants of me? So let's talk a little bit about what we know about this person in the story. We know that he has a lot of things going for him. We know he's young, so he's got a lot of his life ahead of him. We know that he's wealthy because it tells us that multiple times. But we also know that he's missing something in his life. And that's why he comes to Jesus. When he finds Jesus, he gets right down to the main thing. He wants to know how he can be assured of eternal life. He wants an assurance of salvation, the thing that that he's missing. He wants to know that he will spend eternity with God. And unfortunately, his understanding of salvation is off because he thinks that you earn salvation by doing good deeds, by keeping the commandments, by, by doing all these things, by being good enough to be granted eternal life. But Jesus will correct his understanding of salvation. And he does. We also learn that he's a follower of God's commandments. And in in fact, he says, he says this, that that he's kept them all, that he's been faithful to them. At at that statement, you you know, you've just got to say, really? You've kept them all? You've never failed? But we all know that 
as human beings, we're imperfect and that we make mistakes and, and that we sin. But Jesus lets that statement slide. Now, we have to understand, you know, Jesus is omniscient. That means he knows everything. So he knows that this man probably hasn't kept all of those commandments because he knows all things. He also knows that this person is very wealthy. And since this man was obedient to keeping the commands of his faith, I think one of the things that we can assume out of this is that this man was faithful to following the Jewish law about generosity. And we can assume that he gave the 10% tithe, that he gave 10% of his income to God. Now, some would say giving 10% of our income is radically generous, but you know what's interesting? When you study this, this practice, and it's called tithing, God teaches his followers to tithe. And for many of us, we look at that the 10% as of giving as the goal to be achieved. But when you study it in the Bible, you realize it's not the goal. It's, it's the first step of generosity. It's the baby step of generosity. It wasn't radical. It was normal. Now, back to the rich man. He knew he was keeping the commandments, including tithing, but in his mind, he thought that God must want more from him if he was going to get into heaven. And that's why he comes to Jesus, to get that assurance. But here's the deal. Neither Jesus nor God want anything from this man. They want something for him. Jesus wants this man to have eternal life. That's why he says, come follow me. A Christ follower is someone who believes in Jesus. And Christ followers receive eternal life, not by what they do, but by believing that Jesus is the Messiah who lived and died to pay for their sins and was raised back to life. You see, Jesus wants more for this man, just like he wants more for us and for, for all of humanity. Jesus also knows that in this man's instance, in his personal case, he was going to have to deal with something. In fact, even remove something because it was getting in the way of following Jesus. Now, let me go back and address what I call that gut check of the story. When most of us hear Jesus say, sell your possessions and give it to the poor, that may immediately make you question your resolve to follow Jesus. And, and if that's what you, if, specifically if you think that's what you have to do. But selling all of your possessions is not a requirement for following Jesus. In this man's life, Jesus knew that his possessions, his wealth, had a hold on him. So that's why he told him to go back and sell all his possessions and give it to the poor. You see, Jesus wanted something for this man, not from him. And that's why Jesus teaches us to be radically generous, because he wants something for us. And sometimes... The things that we have get in the way of us following Jesus. Jesus also knows that radical generosity will change the world. So he wants 
to change the world through his followers. In this next selection of scripture, Jesus is teaching, and you're going to notice there's a similar theme from the previous teaching. And this, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I hope you noticed that this teaching that Jesus is giving is identical to what Jesus said to the rich young man. He said, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. What's this treasure in heaven that Jesus is talking about? It's people. It's people. Remember, Jesus tells us that one of the greatest commandments is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so since we want to be in heaven, we should love our neighbor enough to make sure that he or she knows how they can be in heaven also. So what does that have to do with radical generosity? Well, Jesus teaches us not to keep our wealth here on earth. He says, instead, you need to use your wealth to have treasure in heaven. In other words, you need to take your earthly wealth and do God's will with it on this earth so more and more people will hear about Jesus and come to faith and receive the promise of eternal life. When we do that, it'll change the world. It may change the world one person at a time, but it changes the world. Think about it. When that rich young man used his wealth to do God's will, in other words, to sell it and give it to the poor, Jesus knew that that kind of radical generosity would meet the physical needs of those people so that they could also have their ears open to hear about their spiritual needs so they could understand that Jesus came to give them eternal life. Jesus teaches us to be radically generous because he knows it will change people's eternal destinations. And when that happens, it changes the world. And finally, Jesus teaches us to be radically generous because he wants us to be free from greed. Now, Jesus takes the issue of greed head on when he tells us what his concern is. He says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So so Jesus takes a common understanding Uh, The understanding is that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve two bosses because that will put us in conflict with one or the other because the demands of one will be in conflict with the demands of the others. And we won't have the ability to fulfill both of those demands. And Jesus knows it's human nature to want to serve one over the other. But when he names the two masters, we really see what he's driving at because he says you can't serve God and money. Jesus wants us to know that wealth cannot be our God. And this man that Jesus had talked to earlier, this rich young man, wealth had become his God and he walked away 
from Jesus when Jesus told him that he had to deal with that. When we follow God, who was so radically generous that he gave his only son to save the world, we'll understand what radical generosity does. To be freed from greed is to give up what we can't keep in order to gain what we can't earn. Now, I want to close with some some practical teaching from the Bible about how we're supposed to deal with worldly wealth. Now, here's the first principle. It's one word. It's give. We honor God when we give. Giving to God through the church is an act of worship, and it's something that Christians have been called to do from the very beginning of the church. In fact, Jesus said these words. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, when I teach on finances, I always tell people that they should give to God first when they get paid. Why? Because it's a way that we demonstrate to God that he is the number one priority in our lives. We're giving him the first fruits instead of the leftovers. It's a powerful way also to demonstrate to God that we trust in him rather than trusting in money. You know, in in ancient Israel, uh, when you read through the Old Testament, you see the establish of giving God the tithe. And we teach tithing here at Valley Brook, and we encourage people to work toward that tithe if they can't start there. But again, the tithe was not the goal. It was the first step in being generous to God. And we see, obviously, in the New Testament, because that's what we've been looking at, those scriptures, It teaches a a radical generosity of giving to God. So honor God by giving to him first. So that's the first thing. After we give, then we should save. There's an ancient proverb that tells us the power of saving money. This is what it says. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. It's this idea that, you know, if we gain wealth quickly... We oftentimes spend it as quickly, but when we take the time to save day after day, week after week, month after month, it will grow and it will increase because why? We understand the power of that sacrifice. Now, uh, we teach a a program here at Valley Brook called Financial Peace University, and we encourage people to uh, go and find out more about it on the, the Financial Peace University website. And Financial Peace teaches practical steps about how to manage one's money according to godly principles. And the first thing, if you take that class, is that it will teach you that you need to save up an emergency fund. Why? Because emergencies always come at the most unexpected time. And when you have an emergency fund that's dedicated savings for that, then you have margin when there's a bill to pay or a car to repair or a furnace to fix. So, do that. But that practical advice about saving also means that, you know, we need to save for our future, for our retirement. We need to to save for, for purchases, for big purchases, so that we can get better prices, so that we can avoid debt. And the Bible tells us this. Listen to this scripture about debt. It says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. So if you've ever borrowed money, if you've ever been in debt, you understand that. You know what? You're you're a servant to that organization or that person that you borrowed money for. 
from. It's important that we understand that. And so truly, Scripture would tell us to, to avoid debt. The principle behind saving is that we're taking control of what God has blessed us with and we're making a plan to use it. We're deciding how we're going to take care of it to provide for us instead of just letting it control us. I would encourage you to, to go on the website, go on the internet and, and look up Financial Peace University and, and find one. I know that during this season they're offering them virtually. So, Give first, save second. Here's the third thing. Live. That's right. Live on the rest. Now, I've heard people try to assign percentages to this, and they'll say, well, you should give 10%, you should save 20%, and then you should live on the remaining 70%. Uh, and that's one way to do it. But honestly, I would encourage you to individually to pray about each one of those areas and what you should dedicate to them and let God guide you. Now, when it comes to living on the remainder, how should we live? Well, I'm going to turn to the words of Scripture. I'm going to share with you the, the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote to his young protege, Timothy. And this is what he said. And, and think this through. As I, as I say this, you're going to hear the word rich. The reality is, if we live here in North America, whether we consider ourselves rich or not, we're richer than most of the rest of the world. So this is what Paul writes. Teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And that's how we should live. You know, the reality is this, that Jesus calls us to live radically generous lives. And when we Follow those principles of giving to God first and saving for our future needs and then living on the rest. We're developing a plan that God can use in our lives and allow us to be radically generous. Now, here's my encouragement. Don't run from this idea that Jesus calls us to be radically generous. Instead, lean into it. Ask God to speak to you more and more about it. If, if you're married, talk to your spouse about it. Really begin to engage with God in this. Why? Because God wants something for us and not from us. And when we begin to look at generosity through the eyes of Jesus, it will change how we see this whole area of our lives. Now, before I close in today's message in this service, I do want to say thank, thank you to all of you who call Valley Brook your church home, those of you who give generously of your time and your talent and your treasure. I want you to know that we appreciate that and we recognize that God has blessed us through you and that God has called us to be generous and you do that. Uh, several weeks ago, we prepared a video that, that really just sort of looks at how God has blessed us through the year of 2021 and, and looks at how we're going to head into 2022. And so 
I want to just invite you to turn your attention to the screen behind me as we celebrate what God has done this year. So it's just a little way for us to say thank you for all that you do for the Lord here at Valley Brook. Now, I want to bring this message to a close and, and really just pray for us on these next steps as we think about becoming radically generous as Jesus calls us to do that. So let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're so radically generous that you sent your son, Jesus, into the world to live for us, to die for us, and you brought him back to life and defeated the power of sin and death. Lord, we know that you've called us to live as his followers, to follow his example. So I pray for each one of us that we would, we would engage with you and that we would hear from you, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see how we're supposed to live this life as your followers. So Lord, I pray that you would move in our, in our midst. And I want to just close this prayer time and say, God, if there's somebody here that, that's never decided to follow you, if you want to do that today, I'm going to invite you just to, to pray this prayer back to God. Here's the first phrase. Just pray it silently wherever you are. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins and he rose again from the dead. And now I want to live for him to the best of my ability. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise, and we say amen to all of these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.